0: Thank you, Scott. Those are great songs to kind of guide us into our our next section. As we're growing in oneness, uh, we're going to be looking at what it means to grow an intimate relationship uh, as husband and wife. And so uh, if you will take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 2, we're going to be reading 18 through 25. And this is the reading of God's Word. Then the Lord said... It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam... There was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. While he slept, took one of the ribs and closed up his place with flesh. The rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed. Since the reading of God's word, so um, there was an article in the Washington Post years ago entitled "This: The Art of Imperfection: How People Are Turning to Robots to Write Handwritten Notes." And so, um, you know, don't you just love getting a handwritten note in the mail? I I still do. Uh, You know, when you go to your mailbox and you're sifting up through the mail, the one that goes to the top, maybe you save it for last to open because you're savoring it. Or maybe you just rip it open right there because it's handwritten. And so this article is basically pitching the idea that if you don't have time uh, to write such notes, that you can actually... Uh, go online, find different companies like Handwritten uh, that you can uh, kind of type out and email them what you want to say, and uh, for an extra fee, uh, they can take a sample of your handwriting and then they can make the, the robot write exactly like you, and then for just a little bit more extra, they can include a smudge of ink, you know, to make it look authentic. And, you know, in the article, they were kind of getting reviews or reactions from people. One guy said, you know, it doesn't matter to me if a robot wrote it or I write it. It's neither here nor there. Uh, The the thing thing that matters is the thought, right? The thought that matters. Well, there's a um, kind of a social expert, a Yale professor that disagreed. She said her name is Ellen Spitz. She says, it seems like a, a complete betrayal. Handwritten notes are special precisely because they are intimate, because a, body, a part of your body is touching the paper, creating a personal connection. Now, a few years ago when I was preparing uh, a, a, a talk for um, a retreat, I was sifting through various resources uh, that I had on marriage, Lisa and I have really enjoyed and have been blessed over the years to go to many conferences and retreats ourselves. Uh, we've just been um, the recipients of such good teaching, uh, such blessings in our life. And as I was kind of going through one resource, uh, a piece of paper just kind of drifted to the floor, and I thought, what? And I picked it up, and it was it was early in our marriage, like uh, just years after we were married, and we had gone to one particular conference or retreat where um, where we had just uh, were asked as an application point to write some things um, some thoughts and reflections about our relationship and I was just sitting there there was just something very deeply intimate that she had taken the time to express her thoughts and she wrote them down and here I was you know decades later reading this thank you Lord as I mentioned um, we uh Jeff and TJ and I have a friend named George, so this is kind of pick on George weekend, I guess. But um, George, um, one thing I really appreciate about George, you know, as pastors, we talk about sermon prep and just how we do things. And uh, one thing I really appreciate about George and admire is no, no matter how long or short the sermon text is that he's about to preach, he begins his week by sitting down and writing out word for word. The entire text it could be a forty verse passage, and he'll write every word like an ancient scribe and you know I've shared with his congregation at retreats in various places, you know how how blessed you are that you have a pastor that takes uh, the time to do that. There's something very intimate about god's word, George's hand to your heart. Isn't that interesting? We read this passage. is not going to be an exposition to this passage. It's going to be kind of a jumping off point. But you know, just think about how God chose to make man. All the options were available to him. How is it described? It says that God scooped down and picked up dirt and breathed life into man. There's something very intimate about that description of how God created us, how he created Adam. And so, you know, you think about this passage. It always makes me uh, think about Augustine's favorite quote. Uh, He says that God has made us for himself, and our hearts are constantly restless until we find our rest in you, in in God. And, you know, it's one of my prayers for my um, uh, unbelieving friends I always pray that God would continue to make them restless, 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 (coughs) excuse me, until they find their ultimate rest in the Lord. (coughs) Excuse me, a little tickle. So (coughs) we are, you know, made for relationship with God, but we're also made for relationship with each other. There's this deep (coughs) longing for relationship with each other that's kind of baked in and you know um, there may be various times in your life where you've really felt this longing I know for me the first time that I really realized this longing for relationship with somebody outside my you know nuclear family was was in middle school and, and I was kind of going through a period of just feeling alone and lonely but it kind of you know that that loneliness is kind of um kind of a two-layered loneliness that God is, or or, or awareness, or longing, excuse me, this longing for relationship, this two-layered longing that God has baked into us. You know, of course, there's uh, the longing for ultimate, the ultimate relationship, and that is relationship with our Creator and with our Maker, you know, just like we read from Augustine. But also, um, there's that longing for the possibility Of a spouse, possibility of getting married now. Just because we just our first hour we were talking about singleness, you know that is something that you know if you are working through this longing that you need to wrestle it out with the Lord. If is is he calling you to marriage? If if you're single uh, or single again, is he is he calling you to marriage? Just like Helen Roosevelt had to kind of wrestle it out with the Lord. Isn't it interesting that uh, Jacob? Uh, he, uh, a man came to him before he was crossing the river to meet his brother Esau, and, and he wrestled all night with what we believe is a pre incarnate uh, visitation from Christ. And his name was changed from Jacob to Israel, one who wrestles. But isn't it interesting? It's no coincidence that Jacob's entire descendants are known as Israel. And that would include you if you were in Christ, in the body of Christ, the new Israel. Uh, we're people that wrestle it out with God. One of the areas that we need to really wrestle it out with God is, is God calling you? You know, you've got this, this longing for intimacy and relationship, you know, is God calling you to marriage? Uh, this, today's talk, this, this, this particular talk, we are going to focus on, you know, how we grow and an intimate relationship uh, with each other as a spouse, as is married. Um, but I want you to, to kind of keep this in mind. You know, as you're seeking to grow in greater intimacy with your spouse and oneness, right? Uh, we we need to know how that connects with our relationship with God, with our longing for God. Because if if you don't connect. Uh, that verti- that horizontal verti- uh, longing with the um, with the vertical longing, your relationship with your spouse is really just going to go sideways and so um, this morning we 're going to look at um, three three things, and the first thing is this the longing for intimacy this longing for i 'm going to get my notes because um, I might go longer if i don 't. Uh, the longing for intimacy. So up to this point in Genesis, uh, God has created the world. He's pronounced it good. Uh, but the only thing that he didn't pronounce good was uh, Adam being alone. So that's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. So to uh, help prepare Adam for what he's about to do, in bringing about Eve, he, he initiates this uh, this awareness campaign. And Adam is naming the animals... And he becomes acutely aware that there's no corresponding counterpart for him. So God puts him in a deep sleep and forms the woman from him. I love what the Puritan commentator um, Matthew Henry says. I'm going to read that as part of your notes. notes. It says, woman was not made of his head to top him, nor out of his feet to be trampled by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful. And so you know, here's the picture. There's two people who hardly knew each other, uh, standing there uh, naked without an ounce of embarrassment, no shame. And note Adam's response. I and mean, he just watched this parade of animals go by and um, they all had dates. They were all coupled up. Uh, But when you awoke, can you imagine just the shock, surprise, and delight that he would be standing there in front of this ravaged, naked woman, and he just breaks out in song, Hebrew song and celebration. But I want to submit to you that this was not just simply, you know, this Hebrew poetry, it's not just simply a celebration. It was also an acknowledgement an acknowledgement of God's provision for him. You might say that the the first wedding present, and again, this is in your notes, the first wedding present was total acceptance of each other as God's perfect provision. That was the first wedding present. Uh, Just uh, was total acceptance of each other as God's perfect provision. So really that is, you know, coming to that realization that is imperfect as your spouse might be, coming to the realization that uh, God knows best. He knows exactly what you need. And that really is the foundational to marriage intimacy and growing in oneness. Because if you don't accept that, if you don't see that as God's perfect provision of what you need, uh, you're going to struggle with oneness and intimacy. And so, you know, uh, Lisa and I, um, you know, we have this conviction uh, that we know that we're very different from each other in many ways. That um, uh, that sometimes we get on each other's nerves. Mostly we don't. Uh, but we have this this great sense that God, that she that she is God's perfect provision in terms of what I really need. He knows best, uh, and we are gifts to each other's to help us grow together uh, uh, in a deeper relationship with Him. And to reflect the oneness of Christ in his church, and so that 's really foundational to really uh, to understand god 's provision for us now you know, it is god 's brilliant design, only God can think of of this his brilliant design uh, to create man and woman in such a way to join them together uh, in such intimate relationship, a unique union. It begins with a look, it escalates to a song or a shout or jubilation, uh, but it 's so profound. The intimacy that is um, intended is so profound that it can only be described as one flesh. And so just kind of think of this oneness, kind of three aspects of oneness. We're, we're going to use uh, Matthew Henry's quote as a kind of a template. Uh, first of all, there's this heart to heart oneness, three aspects of oneness, heart to heart oneness, uh, this ever deepening journey of getting to know. Your spouse um, more and more, their hopes, their dreams, their desires, their fears, uh, growing together in Christ's likeness, growing together where we are praying and longing for God to connect uh, the riches of his grace to the realities of our life. There's that heart-to-heart oneness, but also the side-to-side oneness. That's another aspect of oneness. Side-to-side oneness where um, we're saying to each other, you know, you are, you are my best friend. And um, we are just going on this journey together uh, where we journey through the depths of despair. We journey through kind of the heights of, of joy and um, rejoicing and happiness. We're journeying together on kingdom mission. This is kind of the side to side oneness, but also, you know, unique to this relationship. Is this it's this death do you part oneness is covenantal at its core. Death do uh, you part oneness where, isn't it interesting that after the fall and God evicts them from the garden, that God doesn't say here, here's your eviction notice, get out. And also here's your divorce papers. You blew it. So they're evicted from the garden, and yet they're in covenant relationship to the other. There's this brokenness, this new reality of brokenness. We see that God has a plan, that God's plan was to redeem marriage to reflect Christ's relationship with the church. Uh, So we see here that the most intimate form of communication is not a handwritten note. God's plan of redemption of what marriage is to become, what is to to reflect um, the deepest form of communication is the Incarnation, where God became flesh, flesh and blood. And His body didn't just touch stationary. He didn't, it wasn't a prophet or guru that just wrote us a bunch of laws and letters. But His body would chafe and touch a wooden cross to redeem as every nation bride, He gives us, gives you this promise. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You belong to me. That's what marriage, even in its broken state in Genesis 3, is pointing to. Do you have a groom that says, you belong to me? Lisa and I, um, we're excited about the. Advent of college football. Uh, I'm, as Jeff said, I'm a Gamecock. She's Florida State Seminole. We always root for those two teams and Virginia. Our kids went to UVA. We always pull for Virginia, but alas, they tend to always struggle. And so uh, we're, we grew up Bobby Bowden fans, and Bobby Bowden, if you don't know him, is the story legendary coach of the Florida State Seminoles, and he was a Christian and uh, Bobby actually, the PCA church where I interned in Central Florida, Bobby Bowden, uh, we had him come and preach as an outreach. It was a great, great sermon. And Bobby tells a story, you know, here's this legendary FSU coach, Hall of Famer, and uh, there's a time where they, they had uh, just won a, the national championship. They flew back into Tallahassee and um, there's throngs there and um, the, the throngs of people just pressing up against him and for an hour they were chanting his name and he was signing autographs and um, he finally finds his his wife and and he says uh to her you know it's this is the this is the greatest day of my life uh, i've never felt so good as i do today i may Maybe he should have mentioned his, marriage, his day he got married. But um, that's sort of one year later. They just lost to the Florida Gators. They always play on Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs> and um, we'll talk later. So they just lost. Their bus rolls back into Tallahassee. Crickets. There's nobody there except his wife, of course. And she said to this, this very soul-crushing moment, "You know, Bobby, um, I'm the only one that really cares about you. That's because win or lose, you belong to me." It's side-by-side oneness, heart heart oneness to death. Do we part oneness? This is longing for intimacy, right? Well, I want you to also see kind of, there's, there's also obstacles to intimacy. We live in a life in a fallen world. And so this is chapter three. So I'm going to give you kind of, I'm going to walk you through something I think is very helpful to me as I help people, as I counsel and I hope it's, it's helpful to you whether you're married or single, uh, I hope this, uh, these uh, kind of stages uh, of intimacy or oneness are helpful as we kind of walk through them. So they're there in your notes. First of all, uh, the engaged stage, you know, that's kind of oneness anticipated. Uh, the main task in that engagement period is what? It's is getting to know the other person. Um, it's a time of discovery, it's a time of newness. You know, conversations are broad and deep. I just still remember just that goofy time where you just you're just happy to just, to sit on a couch and stare at each other in their eyes, you know, for long periods of time. And you have this heightened sense of each other's needs. Let me do that. No, let me do that. Let me do that. Right. And then, you know, there's just challenges. One of the primary challenges you see in this. Uh, stage, especially if you if you've ever done premarital counseling, is there's this, this kind of this blindness to each other's sins and shortcomings. Um, and you know that marriage is going to shine this big giant um, floodlight on all these sh- shortcomings and sins that you're thinking well, I didn't see those things before, previously undetected. And then there's newlyweds. And that's kind of oneness realized. main task there is mutualization. Uh, Learning to live as one. You're now married, and you're just kind of learning to live it out, learning the principles that you've learned, uh, maybe in your premarital courses and counseling. And for some people, it's a very smooth transition. I've had other people say it was the hardest year of my life. And so it's, you know, it's a time of uh, talk, you know, excitement. You're just talking, you're problem solving. But here's some of the challenges. Uh, one of the challenges is you're just assuming that intimacy will happen just because you spend time together. It's not the case. Or the second is really just kind of handling reality. You know, conflict comes in, disagreements come in. And, um, you know, are you going to attack are you going to pull back? Are you going to retreat? Or are you going to hide? So some of the challenges of the newlywed phase. And then um, married and children, you know, what are some of the obstacles there? Well, that's oneness challenged and sharpened because there's opportunities, but there's a lot of challenges. Uh, and this is actually one of the the, the, the stages in a marriage where ero- some severe erosion can take place. <coughs> um. You know, it's um, having children can put a great stress and strain on the marriage. The main task is raising a godly family, raising your children, and the the, uh, nurture and admonition of the Lord, promoting a God-centered marriage, promoting a God-centered home. And some of the challenges, uh, let me list a couple of them. You know, your kids, as they get older, uh, they're staying up later and later and later, and so it kind of starts pinching out your relationship time with your spouse um, infringing on date nights. That's kind of interesting. I have date night assignments as uh, somebody who does a lot of marriage counseling. And um, date night assignments, when it's appropriate, when it's time to do that. And it's just kind of inevitable. Some of the people that go on date nights uh, that are kind of more empty nesters or have kids that are college age, they come back and I'll ask them, ask them um, how did it go? Because I I give them certain assignments. Um, I don't like date nights where you just go out and you just pay a lot of money for a meal and you stir. You know, remember the um, date night Steve Carell and Tina Fey, and their marriage is just kind of settled into this home come drum, and and they're just kind of like, how did your day go? How did your day go? And then all of a sudden they just have this kind of imagination. Hey, what's the story over that couple over there? And They start telling these. These stories and their imagination of these couples in the restaurant. But some of the challenges in this phase is, you know, um, your time is getting pinched in terms of how much you can spend relationally with each other. But also I've seen this, that sometimes people begin to move towards their children as kind of intimacy surrogates. Like you start seeing your kids as they get older, as your, your, your best friends you are pouring time and attention in them. You're living vicariously through them in some aspects. And so the family becomes fragmented, you know, of course, with sports, dance, things like that. But there's great opportunities. One of the opportunities in this phase, uh, relationship is often centering around problem solving. If you have kids, and so that is a great opportunity to partner in new ways. And we, you should see that and own that as an opportunity and not just, you know, ah, another problem. Uh, opportunities to pray together. Opportunities to forgive one another um, as the worst might come out as the family gets messy. So, marriage uh, with children, that's oneness challenged, And then the empty nesters, uh, that's oneness rediscovered. Any of you have really... Uh, Enjoyed that phase or enjoying that phase. Um, that's the main task is really just kind of finishing the race well. It's a time of new opportunities to serve the Lord together, and so maybe if your your life has been fragmented and stressed and strained in the kids phase, uh, now you're kind of coming back together. You're re-entering small groups and you're serving in new ways that you hadn't in a long, long time. And you know, one of the main challenges so there's, there's several, right? Second uh, corinthians four uh, that our earthly tents are wasting away, right so we 're going to the doctors more we 're dealing with health scares and health challenges. Um, some of us enter into new phases where our elderly parents can take up a lot of bandwidth of our time and attention and emotional um, energies, and so the question is this you know the you know the opportunity there is is growing together in Christ's likeness as you're, trying to, as you're finishing the race well together. Well, the question is, which stage is the best stage? <laughs> it's a trick question, right? Uh, because, you know, oftentimes we look, you're in one stage, and you kind of look back longingly or look forward longingly uh, to one of those stages and long for that. But really the best stage is the one that God has placed you in right now. Uh, that God has placed you in that stage with his own hands, and he's keeping you, protecting you, growing you. And so obstacles to intimacy and oneness, we need to be uh, aware of those. And then lastly, kind of growing in intimacy, just some, just a couple of things that um just helpful application. Uh, one is just be intentional about your marriage. Be intentional. It's just... Uh, It's just so easy to drift into passivity when you're married. Um, Kind of, if if it's not broken, don't mess with it kind of mindset. Uh, But really, that's a decision not to grow. I'll just be really honest with you. Um, And There's so many couples I meet and I counsel and I work with uh, that just assume they have a great marriage. They don't need to grow. Uh, They don't need to tend the gardens of their heart. And so aren't you glad, though, that when God takes us through these various stages, um, that there's all of these problems and opportunities because that means that there's opportunities for you to grow. God is giving you opportunities to persevere and to develop godly character and to grow in endurance and to pray and to cling to Him. And secondly, aren't you glad that God isn't passive about your life? God has welcomed you into his arms, um, his arms of grace, but he's not satisfied until your heart is becoming more and more transformed into the image and likeness of his son. And so he wants you to find your deepest, fullest rest and satisfaction in him. And so isn't that our marriage is supposed to be pictures of the gospel. If you think about that, uh, that leaving and cleaving that we read about in the Last part of the verse, and it's really a picture of the gospel. The God the Son uh, left God the Father and God the Holy Spirit to be with us. Uh, he um, he cleaved to his bride, and he he weaved himself into the bride through his Holy Spirit, leaving and cleaving and weaving. Is a picture of the gospel. Second application, This is is uh, first is be intentional about your marriage. Second is pray together. Um, it's so easy to just. At the end of the day, just kind of make prayer just kind of a punch list of things to pray about mom and dad. We got to pray about mom and dad. We have to pray for our kids. Uh, we have to pray for this and that, our ministries and so forth. Uh, and, and we're really not leaning into God and praying for our marriage and everything that our marriage could be about. Uh, and so I love this description by Dwayne Storey. He says, kneeling beside the bed holding hands lifting up our praise and requests and entering into god's presence may indeed be the most intimate thing any of us ever does without our spouse uh, with our spouse excuse me it is part of god's design because spiritual intimacy is another vital part of marriage when a couple's body soul and spirit are in harmony with one another and with their creator physical intimacy becomes reminiscent of paradise And love returns to Eden. There's just something so incredibly intimate about praying together. In fact, I tell couples that are dating, I said, uh, don't you dare pray alone. Don't you dare hold hands and pray alone. That's too intimate. You can't handle that. You pray in groups, pray in your youth group, um, but don't pray alone together. And then third, uh, grow in your relationship with Christ Go in your relationship with Christ. Uh, you know this is one of the greatest gifts that you can give your spouse is to be in a discipleship or mentorship relationship if you're if you're a man, you know it's just so easy for us to kind of lean on our wives uh, for kind of that emotional growth and and um, um, just what kind of lean on her uh, to be our emotional support. Uh, and yet, um, we're kind of robbing her because we're not in discipleship and mentoring relationships with other men that can help us grow in ways we've never imagined. Same same thing for women, uh, being in women's group, having a mentor, having somebody that can disciple you. And so just somebody that will stretch you uh, to help you be uh, the husband that God has called you to be and help you to be the wife that God has called you to be in your marriage. I'm going to end with this and we're going to have discussion. Kay Warren Uh, the wife of Rick Warren. She wrote an article uh, back in uh, uh, years ago in Christianity Today uh, called We Were in Marital Hell. And she describes how before, they knew that their marriage was in big time trouble on their honeymoon. And at the age of 21, they were about 21, their marriage was an instant nosedive. On their honeymoon, they began to fight about money, about sex, about in-laws, about communication, and they were actually even fighting, having arguments about their arguments. And this is what uh, she wrote. She said this. I'm just going to read it. It's kind of long. I want you to lean into it. It's really good. She says, I don't approach the subject from a Hallmark card version of marriage, but from the blood, sweat, and tears of the trenches where our marriage was forged and is sustained. I know what it's like to choose to build our relationship, to seek marriage counseling again and again, to allow our small group and our family into the struggle, to determine one more time to say, let's start over and please forgive me. And I was wrong and I forgive you. I know what it is like to admit that my way isn't the only way and to see the world and to try to imagine what it's like to be on the other side to choose to focus on what is good and right and honorable in my husband instead of what drives me crazy, to turn attraction to another man into attraction to my husband. I know what it's like to be cracked open by catastrophic grief and to share it with your spouse when you're so different. Each of us is not who the other was looking for, but each of us, is who the other desperately needed to become the person that we each are today. Yet, it's also been the very best thing that has ever happened to either of us. We wouldn't be who we were today without each other. The shrieks of iron sharpening iron have often sounded like gears grinding on bare metal, but the result has been profound, and that is growth. Growth. And both of us. There it is, isn't it? And God, and His wisdom, He has made you. If you're married, His wisdom and grace, He has given you His spouse, um, given you His spouse, uh, this, the spouse that you need. He knew what He was doing, He knew what you were needing at the time. Uh, and by His grace, He knows what you are becoming. So with that, um, we're going to have a table discussion, but before that, let's uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the goodness of marriage. We thank you for uh, the hard edges of marriage. Um, Father, I pray for those that uh, may be in this church and they're struggling with uh, loneliness in their marriage. Uh, Father, I pray for those who may just be starting out in marriage, wherever they are. Father, I pray that you would meet them, that you would grow them in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that you would infuse their marriage with hope. I pray, Father God, that you would just bind their hearts together, you would knit their hearts together uh, with the cords of your love. Father, I pray for the singles here, uh, that they would um, just pray and consider how they could support their married friends, uh, how they can pray for them and walk with them in the ways that you've called them to do that. Father, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.